Do you miss Nebuchadnezzar? Do you miss Belshazzar's banquet? Suicidal swine stampede? Or maybe proud Pharisee? If you answered yes to any of these questions and you're just at a loss for what defense to play and what to expect in building a defense for rotation format, then this, my friend, is the podcast for you. All the way back from the debut of the podcast, episode one, we're going to be welcoming Jay Chambers to talk all about rotation format defenses. So without further ado, let's hit it. Thanks for being here. All right, thank you guys for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. We've got all the way back from episode number one, Jay Chambers. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good to be here. I'm doing pretty good, and you definitely sound better this time. So, well, what's bad though is that the the sinus infection is impending. So it's I, I sound better as far as my tech goes, but I feel like my voice has got this nasally quality. So that's going to be interesting. I think I'm allergic to you, John. <laughs> you sure it's not just allergic to winning? I'm not doing that. <laughs> so how would I know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I guess that's a fair point. Um, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> so we're going to be having a discussion on this episode. We're doubling up on episodes this week. Does that mean I'm like a Christmas present episode or something? I, I guess you're a late Christmas present, maybe. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, so what we're going to be talking about is defense in the current rotation format pre-phase one release. So what is defense now? What's the best way to play defense from what we've seen in games, that type of thing? Um, and before we get into that, um, Jay, for the the one or two new people that might not know you and haven't seen you going off on people on Discord or whatever, you want to share a little bit back about your background? Sure. My name is Jay Chambers. Um, I go by... On Cactus Forums, I'm red. On Discord, I'm flooded red. And probably get into that whole flooded part at some point tonight. But um, I've been playing Redemption for um, forever. I started playing Redemption in 2005, which means I started playing at the ripe old age of seven years old. And I started when the game was only 10 years old. And so I've been playing for a very long time um, relative to my age, which is an interesting creature. But I've seen a lot, and I've watched the game go from where the best blocks in the game were warriors, prince of this world, and priests, prince of this world, and Emperor Nero from Apostles, and then Uzzah, and then... The whole Dio or Death of Unrighteous, Balaam's Disobedience. I've just seen, I've seen a lot. <laughs> and so I've been to Nationals. I haven't been to Nationals in quite a while right now, but I went for a good five year span. But I've got National, my first Nationals was before I and Jay came out. So I've been playing a long time. <laughs> and unfortunately, I obsess over certain decks, which draws the ire of many people in this game. <laughs> And their um, jests. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anyone can put up with a jest, it's going to be you. That's true. It's um, my calling card. So, also, what people may know about you is that you are hosting the 
Grand Prix, the Lackey Grand Prix, which is an online formatted tournament that is unsanctioned. We're not actually playing with physical cards. We're playing with Lackey, which is yes. the digital version of the cards. You want to talk about that? Sure. I'll just kind of give a brief overview um, because there's been a bit of confusion um, over the rules. So the Lackey Grand Prix is is modeled off of an old Redemption Online tournament called the Redemption Online Official Tournament. Um, for old timers, it's abbreviated as Root. And the, 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 the format for that tournament was you would play Swiss, um, in which Root had a few different wrinkles, like it would reward you if you played bonus games. I'm not doing bonus games. But what the Grand Prix is, is it's a, it is a four rounds Swiss online tournament that cuts to a top four. And it's different from a standard redemption tournament, um, an official redemption tournament, because it's basically correspondence redemption. So you play one game a week for four weeks. So the four rounds of Swiss last for four weeks. And then at the end of that, you will cut to a top four, and then the top four best players will play in single elimination. And the couple of different things is um, you don't have to play the same deck. Um is it each round you can make modifications between games um and then that's the big thing that's the big interesting thing the big thing that makes it different is that you don't have a set deck you can sort of adapt and play around with things because i mean it's really just for the purpose of having fun um but i'm just doing the top i'm adding the little top cut component because sometimes in redemption um you play just a straight up Swiss tournament and you run into the guy who's playing love at first sight and that's the end of your day. But if you have a top cut, you might could still possibly win that tournament. And so I know that no one's actually playing love at first sight, but it was a good example. But so that's just sort of the basics of the grand prix. Um, we're in the middle of round one right now. I lost my first game to uh, demon hunter 85 or uh, Rob Smith. And so he, he took care, he took me out I know he's going to listen to this as soon as it gets posted. So good job, bro. That was a good game. Rob, Rob's been on a bit of a heater here. He has. He won that that Zoom local, and then um, did he win the Contender Deck tournament too? No, I'm pretty sure Jaden won that. Like, yeah, Jaden did everything win that he one. enters. Yeah, but yeah, Rob is on a heater though. I mean, that was a, and, and we played a really good game that I may pull a couple examples from when we talk a little bit later about some blocking concept stuff. I will say that speaking of Jaden and Jaden winning all the time, <laughs> he also posted his results and he has already won his game. And his MVP, he said, was the lying prophet, not for blocking and not for drawing cards. It was converted lying prophet. But because he was rescuing all souls with the lying prophet, which unless I'm missing something, there's really no benefit to converting that guy. There is zero benefit to converting the lying prophet because the if blocking is applies to his entire ability. So he's useless. Which means that Jaden at this point is just out here refusing to play normal decks because he doesn't have to. We as a community have to band together and make him play normal decks again where he has to actually try to to play within the structure that is laid out. He keeps doing these over-the-top things, and they just keep working. <laughs> they do. I've, I've done my share of allowing them to work as well when I played him, but, man, it's just so frustrating. Every time he plays, it's like, oh, I got this cool little trick I'm going to try to pull off, and he pulls it off every time. 
Yeah, I don't get that. But then again, I mean, I'm I'm the cool little trick guy too, so I can't say much. You you want to talk about being on a heater though? Like, when's the last time Jaden lost something of consequence? The last time he lost his keys, I would reckon. Well, I mean, in the uh, last Zoom local that was classic before rotation was announced, um, Jaden lost to me. Does that count? <laughs> Who won the tournament? Josh. Oh, well, maybe that counts. And I lost to Josh, but I beat Justin and Jaden. <laughs> well, you can take some solace in that. I can take solace in that. So um, so that's the Lackey Grand Prix. It's underway. Um I still have not even reached out. I, I got paired with Josh, speaking of him. So at some point, I'll have to get that game in with him. Yes, you will, or otherwise it's going to be a draw. Nobody wants a draw. Nobody wants a tie. <laughs> get that game played, John. Um, anyway, also, Rob M. Studios is now going to be featured on Land of Redemption. This is other recent news within the community. He's going to have his videos featured on Land of Redemption and... At this point, I'm not real sure exactly when this episode will come out, but he's releasing another spoiler video, but it's not really a spoiler video because we already know what the 18 legacy rares are that are coming with phase one, but he's got a video coming out on those, so make sure you check that out. Currently, also, if you need to buy some cards, maybe you run into some cards in this Lackey Grand Prix and you're like, oh, got to have that card because it's really good. Currently, Three Lions Gaming has a 10% off sale. You can go in the trades and sales channel on Discord and get the promo code there and use that. And then next episode for the threshing floor, I want to branch out and let you guys have a have a say in that. I can tell you who the guest is, but I can't tell you what the topic is. I've got two topics, and I want you guys to help me choose which one you would rather hear about first. And then we'll get him on at a later time to talk about those. So we're going to be introducing Chris Fashman to the podcast. Woo! And the two topics. It's been a while. We've been I've had all these ideas piling for when he comes on and now we just got to get one of them done. So, you guys help me pick out which one you want to hear. Do you want to hear about tournament hosting, what goes into that, the pairings, and how to run efficient, good, organized, well-organized tournaments? Um Clearly, he's hosted a couple of nationals and things, so... Three. Okay, three. Excuse me. I've went to all of them, so I should know. (laughs) The point being that he has a wealth of knowledge in tournament hosting, so we can either talk talk with him about that, or we can talk to him about playgroup building and retention. So trying to build a playgroup, and then trying to hold on to the members of that playgroup. So whichever one of those you guys want to hear, reach out to me in the next few days and up until the point that we record i'll take your feedback and decide based on the majority there and i'll probably put a poll in at some point on discord as well so let me know what you would rather hear when we have chris join the podcast on the next episode and without further ado at that point we're ready to jump into today's main topic which is going to be defense Defense. Defense wins championships. Roll Tide. Yeah, Roll Tide. I, I, I can get on board with that. Um, Even to the point to where even if you're a Georgia Bulldog and you, you're not very good on offense, you're just good on defense, you can get in the national championship too. Absolutely. Let's go defense. So first thing I would like to do is kind of identify what 
you've seen and kind of what I've seen in the change to rotation format, what are the early strategies that you're seeing, the early common plays and things of that nature? So it changes. So in my opinion, early early um, rotation defense has changed versus what it would have been if the reserve rule, which we'll get into that in just a little bit, but currently just sort of broad stroking it. Um, gray is incredible like it was before, but I think that gray is just an incredible defense in redemption right now. I think that the lying prophet is kind of like the MVP. Um, but I think that we're sleeping on some of the other fun things that gray has to offer that I've showcased in the game that I played that Jeremy and I played back in October now, um, on the lion's den Facebook group. Um, gray has got a ton of options. Hold on, hold on guys. If you're not part of the Facebook group, that was a subtle plug. Yes, it was. (laughs) Um, but anyway, so there's that, um, gray is incredible. Um, big, big evil characters, um, banding gray has it all. Um, gray can fight blow for blow, or it can play Balaam's disobedience and unsuccessful and ruin your day. Like it did to me. Um, there's gray, um, crimson, um, crimson is still good. Pride of lions. I mean, who does not want to draw, who does not want to pull six cards out of their deck and then make you lose a bunch of resources. I mean, cause that's what pride of lions does. And then it does it over and over and over and again. Um, but, um, crimson's really good. Orange is still the boogeyman. Um, I think orange took a hit, but that's going to come kind of swing back around, but it's still the boogeyman. So, um, current defensive strategies generally are going to rely on, generally they're going to have some kind of a big character. And I think you can probably sort them into, and when I say big character, I don't necessarily just always mean numerically big. But I think you can sort the defenses in rotation into three broad categories. And those three broad categories are um, defenses that are built around the Lying Prophet, defenses that are built around Leviathan, and then defenses that are built around Red Dragon, King of Tyrus. To identify specific characters that you're trying to block with right now. Like, this, these are just what I'm seeing. And when I say built around Leviathan, I mean, that's, that's just the general, he's the general centerpiece for crimson animals, Edomites, what have you. They're generally going to have Leviathan in them. Let me ask you why you mentioned Leviathan. I know we, we've got on here to talk about the impacts of delayed reserve access with some of the defenses that were commonplace without having that fire from heaven play that you can get turn one. Does that not make Leviathan a weaker play? It doesn't make Leviathan inherently weaker. It just makes turn one Leviathan not the plan. So the the original plan was in a lot of decks is turn one Leviathan. Now Leviathan is, and this is just me. This is I play a lot of Leviathan. Um, I've played a lot of Leviathan, and in my experience, um, I used to do Leviathan. Like I would either play Leviathan on turn one. And say, okay, here's the big fish, deal with it. Or I would play him late game, and now I just exclusively play him in the late game. 
Um, I don't think that the delayed reserve access rule has killed Leviathan being a thematic center. Just because being 13-13 and protected from dominance is still every bit as good as it was. Yeah. Let me ask you, you mentioned you led off with, with Gray, and you kind of talked about how strong they are. And we know they're strong because they have access to ridiculously strong enhancements. The fact that you can get disobedience, uh, um, Balaam's disobedience, and then false prophecy. And both of those have an ability to be, cannot be negated, which is amazing. You say amazing, I say stupid. Well, you know, you gotta, you, you know, unsuccessfuls technically cannot be negated too. Yes. That's, I was getting to it. Trust me. Gray's got all of these toys and I know. And then they've got two scatters. <laughs> Previously, it was like, if people were playing gray, it was the Southeast defense, which if you don't know what the Southeast defense is, it's, it's that, I mean, that's what we started dubbing it around here. And that, I think it kind of spread. That's what people were calling it at national. So I, it kind of took hold, um, but it was playing um, King Resin to activate Damascus to get Captain of the Chariots to interrupt draw two. So you lose that weapon, but you still have Gold Shield, which is pretty good. Isn't isn't that the name of that card? The Legacy Rare Gold Shield and Every Man's Sword too. I like King Resin Gold Gold Shield kind of because it kind of makes no sense because i think the isn't the picture wood and then it's gray brigade but we call it gold shield um oh in the picture it looks like it's gold to me like it looks like it's got wood grain but it also looks like it's gold okay well maybe that's just me being overly critical with my eye probably but it's still really good doug gray art Oh, it's got the it's got the wooden uh the wooden, wooden wagon. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's that's where I get the the wood thing. But it's gray and then you discard this to convert. And the cool thing about this is that it doesn't it doesn't put them in SI so they don't get to negate it. It discards So so I personally believe that we should have been running gold shield in different King Resin defenses last year before um, Naaman's chariot and horses rotated. Um, and now with the loss of Naaman's chariot and horses, King Resin to captain of the chariots is still good. It's not busted, but it's still good. And gold shield is why it's still amazing. I will say that I did see this a good bit last tournament season. I, I know that I think Brad was running it in his defense at one time. And I saw it somewhere else maybe at one of the Tennessee tournaments. But so you, you've got that. You still think you still think that resin is a strong defense like to build around. I, I don't think you build your defense around resin, but I think if you put King Resin and Captain of the Charioteers and you build your reserve with that resin package, you've got Damascus, you've got um, Gold Shield, Captain of the Chariots. I like Mercenary Chariots, by the way. Nobody talks about that card. I think it's really good. Um, and then you put those three in there, two. Um, you could cut it down to two to just Gold Shield and Every Man's Sword. But you put all those together, and I mean, when you turn two, you go Resin, go, uh, Damascus, that's plus one to go get um, Cap or Charioteers, Captain of the Chariots, that's what it is. And then you get gold shield, and then you draw two. I mean, you're still plus two, and then you probably got a block if they had one hero. 
Yeah. I mean, and then when you're done using the value off Captain of the Chariots, I mean, you have a 20 bajillion, like it's a 20 resin has 10 attack and 11 defense. So it's a 1921 before the weapons ban that's cannot be negated. That's kind of busted. Like it's hard to deal with that. If you're backing that up with seventh bowl plot to kill and crucify him. I think that's one of those that a lot of people don't necessarily target it, but you can still negate the Damascus play. You can put, which would put captain of the chariots back. So, but you're going to get the, you're going to get the, the, the pop of gold shield or every man's sword and the draw before they get that negate. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of gone gone down this gray gray brigade rabbit hole. Yes. Um, let's let's pull it back and, and get back on point to the outline here. And let me ask you, in your playing, what are the common defensive plays or combos that you're seeing? Like so you identified a couple of characters that you've seen, and obviously lying prophet seems to be everywhere. I think that that's also the fact that it's it's able to put an opponent in special initiative right away with a lone blocker, or you can target uh, looking at their hand and drawing a bunch of cards. So it, it's just versatile and it cannot be prevented. So it doesn't get stopped by anything before it goes in and tries to resolve its ability. Um, what, what are the specific combo type plays or, or what if, if you're going into, into a game and you don't know what your opponent's playing, what are the handful of plays that you're expecting to see them play on that first block attempt? So I'm, 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 I'm seeing a lot of um, lackey games and in lackey games, people are doing a lot of pride Alliance with um, animals, just a ton of animals. Um, that's what I'm, this is feedback I'm hearing from other players. This is what I'm seeing. There's a lot of animals. And so if I see animals, I'm expecting, um, I'm expecting to fight. Um, I'm expecting to have to, to gun through Leviathan, um, a big lion's band. Um, if I see gray, I'm expecting little ninja blocks. I'm expecting people to block me with profane daughters and then play unsuccessful and just make my life ruined. Or they're going to block me with lying prophet and they're going to try to get it in where they're going to have initiative. And then they're going to play Balaam's disobedience or unsuccessful or scattered or just whatever fits the application. Um, and then I'm going to see people go lurking to something in their reserve. What's the most common that you're seeing in reserve or lurking? Cause I, I think, I think personally from people that, I haven't played as many games, but I've talked to people more than I've played games. It seems like Coliseum Lion is that top target in reserve because it's a general application card. So I'm seeing I, I'm seeing Coliseum Lion, Abaddon the Destroyer, or Behemoth. It's sort of a spectrum of those three. Those are the big. These are the guys we're going for. Um, and then there's sometimes this is a weird one, but sometimes there's foreign wives. Um, some people are going lurking foreign wives for whatever reason, but I think Coliseum Lion is the is the lurking to Coliseum Lion is the I think objectively best lurking target because go lurking Coliseum Lions, 
you discard their suspended battle winner that's giving you special initiative. And then you play your own responsive battle winner off of that discard. And so while you might be using multiple resources, you're playing lurking in response like it's a blanket negate. So that's actually a really good play is to go lurking Coliseum Lions unsuccessful when they're trying to kill you. Because that, that simultaneously gets rid of what they were trying to hit you with for the battle, which is going to puff whatever big evil character you have. Because I think the best defenses combine blocking strategies, which we'll have to get into that different in, in a few minutes. Because I don't think everybody does this, but I think the best ones do that. But I'm, you're going lurking to Coliseum Lion to battle winner. That's that's the number one thing that I think is I think that's the that's the play defensively right now. So I can tell already from the first first little bit of this conversation is that you whether whether it's what you're seeing or what you're playing, you think big numbers are extremely important or big guys that they have to battle through. Big guys that they have to battle through that 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 give that make it hard to do so on their own. Like inherently in redemption, it's always been good if your evil characters can block by themselves, and that's important and that's profoundly important right now, just like it always has been. Yeah, I guess that's why lying profit because it has that standalone potential to get something done. Our the big thing is something. it's the big thing is he's got he's the best value evil character in the game right now. Um. He, on his own, he's terrible at getting a block. Like, he's a 4-5 dude who does not have any kind of protection and has a very iffy auto-win ability. But he pluses seven cards every rescue attempt. So, I mean, you do that. I mean, like, in the, in the age of LOC enhancements always being red in another color, and then before that, I mean, there was like green teal or green clay white and then green white teal and then purple blue teal. And you just keep going and there's all these enhancements that have multiple brigades. Yeah, Lying Prophet just draws a bunch of cards. That's why he's good. Yeah. But big evil characters that get a block, guys like Red Dragon, King of Tyrus. Um, in the modern era, a lot of these guys are Angel of the Lord proof which is what makes them good is that they're protected from your dudes and they're angel of the Lord proof. Do you think that some of these big characters that are kind of able to get around or isn't as worried about angel of the Lord? Do you think that's kind of why that card has not the last little bit has not been like an auto include in like a staple format? I, I think that we're playing angel in rotation. It's coming back, but it, it hadn't. Do you think I'm I'm just saying it fell it fell out of favor because I had a play first ability attached to everything with Throne of David. That was why it was out of favor. Um and then Love at First Sight didn't play it because and, and you didn't play it to counter Love at First Sight because it was a it was a brick. I think that it, it it's come back around. Like it has really come back into fashion because you don't have a throne play first and a big fat protected band. I think it's different in a world where offense does not get play first. I think if you were playing dutiful priest, I think you could cut angel from your deck if you wanted to. I don't think that you can cut it anymore. Okay. That's fair. Um, so we've mentioned crimson, orange, 
gray and what was the other one? You kind of hinted on on brown a little bit because Lying Prophet, Profane Daughters kind of fits in that vein. Then you also get to add in Persian Horsemen, which is kind of a versatile. It's probably going to get negated. That's not really brown as much as it's just a bunch of good evil characters thrown together and they all happen to have brown. Well, that's kind of what that's kind of what I associate brown to be right now. Is when people say they're playing brown, I don't think that they're playing Kings of Judah. <laughs> For the most part, I don't think they're playing Kings of Judah or um what's the other one with King Xerxes and uh Persians. Persians. There you go. Not that King Xerxes isn't an awesome card. I just don't think people are playing that when they say brown. When they say brown, I think of those cards that have gray splashed in. You know what I mean? That's that's kind yes. of what we, even to the point to where when somebody plays brown, I almost expect like pagan sailors to be in there versus one of those other big brown people. Maybe you should call that false prophets instead of brown. Because they're all built around false prophets. It's false leaders, lying prophet, profane daughters. I mean, one of my first rotation defenses was all those guys plus damsel plus serpent running death of unrighteous and unsuccessful and Balaam's and all that annoying stuff. Okay, well, that's fair. False leaders, now that you bring that up, I know that that's one that was pretty pretty popular at nationals, at least in other areas, maybe not in type one because of it being warped because of love at first sight, but it's one that we saw in teams. Everybody was playing it. At our table, we ended up with against um, Rob and, and David in teams, me and Jeremy played, and there was three different copies on the board, so everybody just kept triggering until we ran out of room <laughs> in our hand or until we just couldn't do anything anymore. It was like <sighs> infinite loop. False Leaders has took a hit. But he's still he's still feared. I like him. He's still feared. I miss Heyman's plot though. You, you miss playing it three times and losing. I redeemed myself. That is the name of the game here, redemption. <laughs> I redeemed myself after that though. That's that's fair. Um, so let me ask you: You haven't said anything about black. Do you not like Philistines? So I have a lack of familiarity with Philistines, but I think they're like in their modern incarnation, I have a lack of, of familiarity with them, but I, I, I've been, I've gone on record on discord. One of my many things where I'm like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. I do that all the time. Yeah. Everything is the best thing ever at some point with Jay. Yes. Um, at one point right after rotation, I'm like, I think black is the most complete defense in rotation. And after playing some rotation, there's still a part of me that thinks that, that, that Philistines might be the best defense right now, but I don't have enough personal experience with modern Philistines. So Captain Feichel, I don't know if I said Commander Feichel, come on, man, put some respect on his name. You put him in your reserve. You put him in your reserve. You play armor bearer. You play the spears. I get the drift. Like that's that's good. I don't know how good that is, but it's. I tell good. you what, last tournament season when I pulled that off for the first time against you, uh, like how how cool was that play? Getting the double weapon equipped to get the draw four and the play first. Oh, that was cool. That was really awesome. Now think about think about replacing that with double double pulls on every man's sword. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think. Philistines, I mean, I think Goliath's really good. I mean, I think 
I think Goliath's um, stock went down with rotation. He's one of the few amazing evil characters that actually get worse. See, I I think completely opposite. And and I guess that that's just the way that I would plan on using him is with restricted reserve access and knowing that there's oh, limits with- set up on turn one. You bring him out turn one and you withdraw and they have to present new. Hello, who are you bringing in? And then you, you use that as your turn one block. It either goes off or it doesn't. You're not really hurt if you, you give up the soul there as long as you had you know a solid shot at it. And then you've got all of your toys in the reserve that get to come out where you get to chain the weapons and all of that moving forward. Not to mention, there is there is an incredibly strong way to chain their abilities together. Since you mentioned not having familiarity, you can actually go, what is the order here? Because I, I, I talked through it with Brad, and it's, it's not something that you're going to pull off very often, if, if ever in a game. But just knowing that it's there is there's there's a chance if they're not preventing you, you can get an auto block just from your character's abilities. You oh, have, yeah. I mean, you have commanders that withdraws all but one character. So you withdraw all but one and make sure it's not a meek character that you withdraw. And then you ban to somebody like, um, not Fykel because he can't ban to um, a king. Or, well, actually, no, you can ban to him. And then you ban to, is it commanders? So you go Feigl, then commanders to withdraw all except a meek hero cannot be interrupted. I think it's not commander. You don't think it's... It's, it's not commanders, it's servants of Akish. That's yeah, what that's it, what it is. But you have to go like Feigl because commanders can't ban to a non-weapon or non-warrior class. So you have to put like Feigl in between to go to servants of Akish. Not to mention, Servants of Akish is really good. You get to draw draw to or play first in rotation consistently as long as David's in play cannot be negated. Yeah, I mean, Philistines, like I said, I think they're kind of possibly the best, but I don't have the experience to... Like, I can't personally throw myself into saying I think Philistines are the best because I've never played a game with it. Yeah. but And we don't have tournament results. But I do think that that black has got has lost the least of all the major themes that we were playing before rotation. Right now, they lost the least. Like I'm talking right now, I'm talking Lackey Grand Prix meta. Philistines are positioned really well. I know we've talked a lot about gray, but Philistines, if you but you've got to know what you're doing to play Philistines. That's the other thing. I think Gray has better, better like one-offs. Like they're they're able to play like one enhancement and get the block. It's 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 forgiving. Gray is forgiving. Um, black requires you to know what you're. And black also, I think, has more, more staying power. I think black can power through an impartial judgment, whereas gray, if you've got those enhancements in your hand and you get hit, you might be hurting for a block. I think black just kind of rolls with it and just can absorb it a little bit better just because you're playing a more well you know if you actually play defense you you handle impartial judgment better let me ask you this kind of transition not just assessing what there is and how it you know looks in rotation let me ask you what are the best 
what are the best standalone evil characters to build around? Now you've already mentioned, you mentioned Leviathan, you mentioned Lying Prophet, Red Dragon. So besides those, are there any more that you would you would go and build your entire defense like strategy around that, or what is a specific strategy that you you would want to do that works in rotation? So if I was building, so so I would build around. I'm just going to throw out some guys in no order. Um, I would build around Emperor Claudius. I would build around Nebuchadnezzar, Prophecies of Christ. I would build around Black Gold Outsiders. No, that's a weird one. Um, I would build around uh, Profane Daughters. I would build around the Serpent, um, which generally Serpent and Profane would go together, but I'm just throwing stuff out there, stuff I'm thinking about. Uh, grain tenders. I think there's a grain tenders defense out there that you can build around. Um, I ain't found it yet. And jo- um, Joshua laughs at you. Yeah, Joshua laughs at all this stuff. Joshua laughs at Lackey Meta. <laughs> Joshua is like that that scene or that that line from um, from um, the Gladiator, our Gladiator, where Russell Crowe says. Death smiles at all of us, and all we can do is smile back. Death smiles at you, and Joshua the Conqueror just smiles back. You put down Sheol, and you're like, Joshua. all right, think about what you're doing. And then Joshua, Joshua the Conqueror. Oh, I would build around Sheol. While we're, while, now that you mentioned Sheol, it's not an evil character, but I would build around it. Even um, while coming off of a conversation talking about Joshua the Conqueror, you would build. Absolutely. I've built around Sheol and I think it's good because, but building around Sheol is building your defense in such a way to where you're going to slugfest with big, fat, single brigade evil character or share brigade evil characters. And then you're going to put another one of them right into battle. So like, I think the resin defense runs stuff like the emperor's. Because we, we talk about Romans not be like, like somebody on Discord one day was like, Romans aren't good. And so like I, I, I straight out built a Romans defense that was focusing in on what Romans, what few Romans are in rotation. And I'm like, this is not bad. <laughs> this is fun. Not bad and good are mutually, not, not necessarily mutually exclusive, but they don't necessarily always go hand in hand either. Yes, but I think I think gray gray's enhancements are so good that if you start stacking evil characters that are protected from dominance in a meta where everybody's banding, um, you're gonna just get blocks from being able to play your enhancements because they can't angel you. And then I mean if they fight you, like you block a lone hero with Emperor Nero and they fight you and you throw lurking and the single target negates like seventh bowl and plot to kill. I mean, you're throwing all that stuff with chronicles and woes. I mean, I think that's objectively good. Um, and then you shield another big fat guy in or the King resident, which band. means that with, with you talking about the adding to battle off of shield, that right there means that every defense that already has add to battle, just if it can play shield because it matches brigades, it's infinitely better like demons with gates of hell coming back with phase one. I know that's kind of forecasting a little bit, but then you have like, um, 
what is it? Um, there's a Philistine. Yeah, there's Philistine garrison, but you also have the uh, ability with like kings of kings of Judah or whatever purple kings to add to battle. Um, or uh, yeah, gate gates right adds to battle for not purple kings. Uh, the brown kings of Judah. It actually can add to battle for both. Right, but but if you can if you can come in try to protect souls and then they get around that finally find a way to kill your evil character and then you just they have to go through two or three layers there of things they have to get around. And we're talking about a defense that I don't think is overly good. It's got like tricks that it tries to pull off. And if it pulls off, it's really good. But if it doesn't pull them off, it's really hurting. But when you have to go through three layers in one battle and burn a bunch of resources, that can help you in the mid game. Yes. And burning resources is something that that's a, I wish that we had sort of a dedicated section to kind of talk about blocking theory um, tonight, because that's something that we don't talk about. Like we're talking about all these individual combos, but really when it comes to a good defense, defense and redemption, it's not about the individual characters as much as how you build what things you have together. Okay. Well, look, I just, I just marked through the, the, the outline here and we've just added it. So here, here's your chance to go on your, your soapbox. Soapbox time. So, so redemption defense is less about individual quality of characters and enhancements, but it is, let me make myself clear here. It's, um, for some reason I'm experiencing a little bit of brain fog right now. So, so if something is incoherent, um, ask John about it and then he'll send me a message and I will answer it for you. Um, when I'm in my, when I'm my best self, but so when you build a defense in redemption, most people get hung up on doing one thing. And when you build your defense in redemption to do one thing, it doesn't matter how well you do that one thing, you're going to run into something that's going to destroy you. So case in point, um, demons, I played demons in the back end of 2020 when I was trying to get my second place in RNRS in type one, two player. And so I played this demons defense that was Judean mediums, King of Tyrus, um, red dragon. And then I ran uh, messenger of Satan and proud Pharisee. And I ran like suicidal swine stampede lurking and something else. And so like, that defense did two things. The main plan was I'm going to play Judean mediums and I'm going to ban the King of Tyrus and you can't do anything. That's generally an auto block. The other thing that defense did is that it played suicidal swine stampede off of messenger to proud Pharisee, or it played unsuccessful off proud Pharisee. So it was atta- It was blocking you with big protected dudes but it was also forking you with chump block, auto block, efficient one enhancement blocks. So I could play the game where I burn your stuff and then you can't beat King of Tyrus. But I could also play the game of, oh, well, that's not working and then block you and just get a successful block. And people don't build their defenses this way. Um, They really don't. I mean, because a lot of defenses, like when people build gray... They focus on, I'm going to play unsuccessful, scattered, Balaam's, false prophecy, and all of their evil characters are like four fives, 
two twos, two threes, just little guys. And they don't have a big guy negate strategy in there, which is fine. But those defenses are going to be softer to something in the meta than they are to than the defenses that can play this sort of forked block. So, and, and, and the beauty of having a dual threat plan in your defense is that you can telegraph because um, here's a, here's a, here's, here's the thing that most new players do not grasp. You don't have to play all your characters down. This is a big key point of redemption strategy. A lot of people don't get, um, I do not have to play my evil characters from my hand. I can hold them. But if I play them, you don't know what... To, oftentimes, you're not going to attack unless you can beat the thing that I've got in territory. So, if I play King of Tyrus in my territory, you're not going to attack me until you can beat King of Tyrus. And so King of Tyrus doesn't get a block. But the other thing I have gets a block. And the idea of defensive forks is something that most defenses are not built to do. Most defenses, a lot of defenses are built to have one plan. Josh, uh, Josh Portratz played Gray in 2019, and then he played a similar version of this in the deck he won Nationals with. That defense's one plan is I'm going to use my efficient blocks. That's its one plan. And it has one weakness. And that one weakness is, is being attacked repeatedly by Jeremiah or 24 Elders or the Mighty Warrior or something like that. Characters that are really good, but they don't get as many blocks if you're packing King of Tyrus and Red Dragon and all that fun stuff. So I like to build my defenses to fork you to where I'm going to force you to, to fight through a big character, but then I have a secondary plan that involves efficient blocks. So I don't I, I build jack of all trade defenses, and I think that most redemption players do not. And I think that if more players built flexible defenses, like it's good to have single strategy offenses um, that do one of two things that do something and they do it really well. It's fine on offense because offense is built to beat defense. If you do that on defense, there's going to be games that you win 5-0, and then there's going to be games where you lose 5-0 because you can't block. And so I think that it's really profoundly important for us to build our defenses with knowledge of other strategies that we can employ. So like you have plan A. So if I'm playing demons, me personally, plan A is I'm going to go Judean mediums to King of Tyrus. Or Red Dragon. And then when Judean Mediums dies, because I blocked a band with it, I'm going to use Necromancer. I'm going to banish Judean Mediums, and then I'm going to get a second Judean Mediums ability when I should have only got one. And then I'm going to block you with my big dude again. I'm going to make you play all your negates, and then you might get a soul, and then you got to fight another big dude. But if I'm blocking you with my big dude on turn one, and then you hit me with your God will be my God and I die, then I got to have a second plan because plan A has done hit the discard pile and that's the end of it. So when I play demons, I like to play profane daughters to pull unsuccessful. I like to play the serpent and have serpent's curse that I can go endless treasures for. 
I like to do stuff like that and have a second plan. And so you build contingency plans into your defenses. And so like my Roman Syrian defense had tons of things. Like I could block you with Emperor Claudius. I could block you with Emperor Domitian. I could block you with Emperor Nero. I could block you with Resin, the captain of the chariots. I could block you with Roman spearmen. I could block you with Lying Prophet. But you need contingency plans. The best defenses have two strategies or even three strategies that overlap in some way, whether it's through brigade or just, I can just play these dudes together because they're efficient. But defenses need to, they need to flex and bend because sometimes they, they, you bend, there are some defenses that if you bend it, and by bending it, I mean like you put the wrong question to it. So like in games like Magic, cards that we call a threat are a question. And then the card that counters it is an answer. So in Redemption, offenses ask questions and defenses provide answers. And so because of that, because an offense can provide one question, and you can only answer that question so many times, you've got to be able to answer that question. And if they have two questions built into their offense, um, you've got to have two answers. And if you built your defense around one type of answer, you're toast. And so you've got to build your defenses to have flexible answers, or otherwise they're going to break and not bend. Defenses need to bend, is and be flexible, so that they can encounter a variety of things. Because when you go to Nationals, you're going to play, play against Joshua the Conqueror decks, but you're going to play against Ruth decks. And you might play against Martyr decks or Revelation Angels. And what are you going to do when you've got Michael the Archangel banded to the Strong Angel trying to play Fifth Bowl? And you're holding your, your what is it, Balaam's? <laughs> you're holding your Balaam's that you have built your life around in your false prophecy. And then there's the strong angel playing fifth bowl and seventh bowl and everlasting beings and war in heaven. And you're just sitting here like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. So... I'll welcome myself back to the conversation here. <laughs> so, but it, great points, though. And honestly, I can I can tell you that when I first started playing, I was definitely in that. Like this is this is what I would almost plan out on turn one, as if I'm not going to have to worry about what the opponent's doing. I'm like turn one. This is going to be my block. This is what I'm going for. And then I'm going for my next best block. Turn two, and then. I would build it that way to where like I could dictate how I block and you cannot build defense that way. And I've, I've definitely learned since. And I, I, I mean, you've, you've seen my progression from, okay, the first time I showed up and I was okay, I guess. I, I think I was really good for a new player. The first time I met you and your brother, you were, and I sat down and I almost beat Jeremy, except for that's when you guys let me know that you can't rescue your own souls. And he sold out of me into a win. Um, and beat me like 5-4. First time I, I ever played against someone that wasn't Brad when we had first started. And then it just kind of, uh, there for a while, like there was this adjustment period. I would play you guys and I would just get my brains beat in. And I'm like, why am I always losing? And then you start realizing you have to you have to be able to adapt to end game. You've got to, and and we like to refer to it as the game within the game. 
you can build your deck. Your deck has to be able to adapt to what the game dictates as it unfolds. Yes. You cannot make the game unfold to your deck. There is no way to do that. You can try to do it, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Hence the you win 5-0 sum, and then you lose 5-0 sum. You can't, you can't dictate the game to your deck so much as you can dictate how you respond with your deck to the game. Yes. Because there's a whole other person on the other side of the table who has done the same thing you have and put in the same amount of work with their deck, potentially more work, and they have built their deck, and you have to get through that deck to get your win condition. Your win condition isn't just there for you to go grab. You have to go through the other person. It's almost impossible to win a game of redemption without interacting with the opponent. That's that's the beautiful thing about this game. Um, and then the love at first sight ruined all of that, but we're not talking about that because it got fixed. But you have to go through their deck, and you have to adapt to their deck. You have to bend. You don't break. Yes. Um. So do you think, what what do you think the closest thing to, quote unquote, an auto block is? Obviously, we've still got foreign wives that if they draw two, you hit that. More than likely, that's an auto block. But is it because you have the new wording on grapes? So grapes is a very interesting edge case. So that actually the old wording on grapes actually still allows for this um, because that's t- that's an errata. But even then, as far as I know, the the older grapes actually would let you do this, um, as long as you could still pay the cost of discard an evil card. Um, but you can use grapes on stuff like Judean mediums, and shuffle your heroes and get to attack again, which gets around the the best auto block, which is Judean mediums to big demon. So, in the sense of there is a of, of a combo that if it always works, it always equals a lost soul. There are, or I mean a block, there are no auto blocks in rotation. There is nothing that cannot be circumvented by something. Um, but the closest thing is foreign wives. Yeah. And then I think probably like if you're, if you don't have a way to meet the conditions, those gray enhancements are pretty close too, um, like especially like false prophecy that gains cannot be negated if opposed by a prophet. And now there's nothing you can do except for potentially chain another battle with greats. But then you have to work through the enhancement as well. If you uh, if 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 you actually pull off Balaam's and false prophecy, angel and grapes can answer the two of them. Um, false prophecy is harder to circumvent than Balaam, but you can play um, against those Balaam's disobedience, false prophecy blocks. You can play angel of the Lord, grapes of wrath, um, Balaam's disobedience. You can play Peter's sermon. You can toss them down if you have something, but Coliseum, Coliseum. Well, Coliseum doesn't even let you play either of those two guys. So like the answer to gray is to play Coliseum and more stuff. Yeah. Um, or Coliseum and Goshen and just have a real good time. <laughs> Goshen is actually probably the, the answer offensively to the defensive problems. Like it probably can get you through a lot of these kind of auto blocks. Well, it doesn't get you past the gray enhancements just because they're, they're mono. 
it gets you past Balaam's by having something to toss to kill the character. <laughs> and Coliseum prevents them from ever being able to play it because it immediately tries to toss it because it's got the word cannot be negated in it. Coliseum is the most under like Joshua the Conqueror's like like smiling reign of con or reign of terror has made people afraid to play a ton of things that answer so many of the questions and answer so many of the of the, of the questions. Like there's just so many things that you could be playing that you're not playing because of Joshua the Conqueror. You're saying we've run too far in the other direction. We have. I mean, I think we're too scared to play fortresses. We're too scared to play territory class and char- or characters. Um, I think we also don't put flying scroll in our reserves enough. But I mean, these are just a number of different things that we can we can do. I will say, Coliseum out, knowing that um, I'm pretty sure everyone everyone understands. But sometimes you don't think about it unless you're in like a dire situation. But you can actually negate Coliseum um, to where it would undo whatever whatever gets tossed or whatever. Or you can you can do that with woes or something before you you make your play. What's really fun is if you if you have confidence to get it back out or whatever, and you're running Joshua yourself, you can underdeck it so that they can't target it to negate, and then there you go. What do you what do you think the do you think it's a better strategy right now? Again, this is all before phase one comes out and affects anything. What do you think the strongest uh, strategy overall? I know you just went on a rant where you need to have multiple strategies, but do you think blocking is better or having that, that low initiative and trying to get initiative? Which one do you think is more consistent right now? Well, I honestly think that the small guy playing busted enhancement is more consistent than big guy fighting you off. Um, Because the meta right now is in a place where lots of people before gospels come out are playing Ruth. And I've got really good Intel that Ruth is like just everywhere. And then you've also got just stuff like the humble seekerless humble seeker deck. You've got um, just post exilics. You've got impartial judgment. Well, that's the one kicker. Anyway, we'll get we'll, we'll come around to that in just a moment. But I think that the small character equal block with enhancement plan is really good and I think you can build that for more blocks than if you go too all in on big characters. But I think if you mix the two, I think that's where you get the best defense. All right, so, well, since you kind of already did it and you you mentioned, and that's fine, you mentioned some of the heavily played offenses right now, and I actually titled the bullet point for this one is Here Comes the Impartial Judgment because as soon as it's coming, you know it's coming, and then what's your answer? How do you build your deck in a strategic way to have enough resources that impartial judgment doesn't just completely wipe you out for that block and potentially the subsequent block? while you try to gather more resources to make up for it. I like to play dull and imitate and lawless and darkness and prosperity and stuff like that in my decks so that my lost souls can pop out. And sometimes they're going to, to 
progress me towards more defensive resources. And then I also like to play Storehouse because I know that people are going to play Impartial Judgment. And so if I know that you want to play Impartial Judgment, I would be stupid to not run Storehouse in a way to search for it if I want to actually not get myself blown out. And that's that's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do is you run a thicker defense. Um, a lot of players right now want to play between 11 and 10 and 12 cards on defense. My average defense is 13 going up to 16. My favorite defenses are 16 cards, but that's me. And I'm known for being very defensive. Ask everybody I interact with on discord. Apparently (laughs) I will say, I will say that ever since, uh, we we me and you personally have gotten into some heated debates about how much defense do you need, and I'm like, you yes, only sir, Mister Four main <laughs> deck characters and seven evil enhancements. <laughs> no, it's not seven enhancements. It was, but but either way, how many how many times did we play where I came up short on an evil character? Most of the time, <laughs> no, maybe a late game with with flood recurring things, but. And and I know that's part of what you were saying before about being able to adapt to in game, and that was in that learning curve of being able to know that some games somebody's going to play flood and be able to recur resources and hit you late game the same way they did early game, and if you don't have those blocks late game as well, you know, ooze is real nice after he pops off. If you can get him back, he's even nicer. But guess what? It's really hard to get him back. Unless you're playing Flood Survivors in Classic, and then you can do it a bajillion times. Yes, but if you're not doing that, then it's really hard to get him back. And now you're, you don't have that go-to auto-block late game when they pull their rainbow back out or, or whatever. So, you know, you got to be flexible with it. And that was part of the learning curve of me going through that to the point to where, like, I think, I think I've gotten better. But you would always run what seemed like 10 evil characters, and I'm just like, that's way too much. I'm not dedicating 20% of my deck to evil characters. So I actually average nine. Excuse me, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I'm wrong. Well, I've played 10, so like you're not out of the, like, this is the range of evil characters that Jay plays range. But I average, I average eight or nine. Like, it's actually been eight the past few years. Um, but if I'm playing demons, I like to go to nine. The point that I'm making is now it seems like everyone with rotation, when the reserve kind of gets a little more relaxed, it's not as tight because you don't have all those um, targets for exiles and remnants turn remnant turn one. So you kind of, your reserves a little more flexible. You might be able to stash away a little bit more defense there. It seems like, there's a little bit more defensive resources in each deck. Um, From your experience, do you think that's the case? I know that it's not, I wouldn't say it's completely balanced. I know people mentioned that rotation is going to push us toward balanced gameplay, but I don't think it's actually gotten there and I don't think it's going to get. It'll never get there. Balanced. I think it's still going to be heavily favored to aggressive offensive approaches because offense obviously wins the game and Defense is kind of just there to prolong it until you can get to your win condition over your opponent. So 
innately it's it's going to be limited to a certain degree because of that. But I don't think people are are out there playing necessarily ten evil characters now. They're not. I think they're six, seven. Throw a, throw one or two in reserve, and then they're adding. They've got their evil enhancements, and I think they've added one or two of those, and possibly even added negate so that they can pull off a big play and have a negate to back it up. Where previously with the the strict aggro approach, defenses didn't necessarily have that that negate. They they wanted to go and hit you with this quick little chump play, and then that's it. But now they're willing to play an enhancement and then have a negate to back it up from what I've seen. Is that similar to what you've seen? That's about what I've seen. I mean, um, I'm not sure like if gray players are putting negates in since so much of their stuff is just compact battle winners. But I mean, I would say, yeah, you, in general, you're going to see, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into, I anticipate people running about one more evil enhancement between deck and reserve both than they were. Um, which don't ask me about running one more than I already was. Cause that just gets to the point of the absurd, but, um, I, I think what you're seeing is consistent with what I'm seeing. I've thought about this and I've built a list that is 57 just to kind of possibly test it out in the Grand Prix tournament since it's not something overly invested into necessarily winning. More so just filling out what for uh, rotation format is and what other players are playing. It's kind of just a way for everyone to identify what the meta is and may become. Um, do you think? Do you think if a player moves to 57 – it moves that way because it's more balanced? Or do you think if you if you add the extra cards, people are adding more consistency and maybe power cards for their offense and keeping about the same defense? How much how much of that extra space is defense? We've got so little data on going to fifty seven cards that I can't honestly give you just an answer from because like for one thing I'm not seeing it. Other than uh, Demon Hunter ran uh, 57 last or yesterday when we played, but I don't know how much more of that was defense and consistency because I've not seen his deck list. But I do know that if I'm going to if I go to 57, I usually fig- I find that those extra card slots are not easy to get to, which is weird. But I guess I'm just super used to building to 50. Because I don't take a deck. I personally don't take a deck that's larger than 50 to a game. Um, but I think if you're going to 57, I think you'd be well served to put good evil character, good evil enhancement, good artifact, good consistency card, dominant lost soul. I think that's a rough. I don't think you play additional offense ever if you go to 57. I think you put other stuff. Kind of, kind of the point of me asking that is because when I put together that list of fifty-seven, I think everything additional was all defense. Like it was just like, okay, I want to be beefy. I want to not worry if they get through, get an impartial judgment through. I want to have ways to potentially on the backside negate that, and even if it sticks and I have to discard four cards, I don't want it to completely wreck my chances to get a block the next turn. And so I think all of the extra was was toward defense. So do you have any any 
before we wrap this up, do you have any deck building tips for um the current meta? What you would what what you would advise someone if they're getting ready to play their first game in this tournament or whatever? What you would advise them to be expecting their defense to need to do? I think you need to expect your de- in your defense you need to have a plan for what do you do if you run into one of the like three things in rotation that have an on block play. So like, what am I going to do if someone's got dutiful priest, strong angel or faith of Abraham? You need to have a plan for that because that's really good. And people don't know what to do with that. Um, I think you need to be a, be on the lookout for the music leader decks because music leader is that thing that just sort of sits in the corner and you don't really realize that it's there, and then it comes out and it's going to wreck your face. Like, if you know that Music Leader is coming for you, you can beat Music Leader. But if you just forgot that Music Leader exists, you lose to Music Leader decks because they just spam 24 Elders. So those are just some of the different weird things you need to keep your mind on. The other thing is that if you go into into rotation and you're building a defense, you need to to take into account every card in your defense and how it equals a block. You should never play regrets. Just throw a card out there. You should never play regrets. That card does not contribute to you getting a block. Um, you should not play... I'm trying to think of other enhancements that just do not contribute to getting a block. Never play an evil card that doesn't contribute to getting a block. I don't care if this enhancement discards an artifact. You have a dominant for that. And if you build your defense with stuff like that in mind, eventually you'll get blocks. Like, it'll do what it's supposed to do if you build it with that in mind. I mean, I can make crazy themes get blocks and win games that most people's like, this is terrible. The reason that you say that it's terrible is because you don't understand how to maximize what it's good at doing to get blocks. So, like, everybody's, like, when they're looking in rotation, they're like Egyptian, like, and people have been saying this for a long time, they're like, Egyptians are really bad. Um, in rotation, Egyptians are actually one of the defenses that have the best amount, the most amount of play first into good en- or strong enhancements. But um, I still haven't made my rotations Egyptians defense work, but I'm getting close. But like basically the whole thing is that you find what your defense is good at doing. And then you maximize every card slot where it does that thing. And if it so happens that you have chosen a defensive package that is able to concisely do something well, then you can put an entirely different defensive package in there. Like demons, the core of demons is Judean Mediums, King of Tyrus, Red Dragon. Three characters. You can drop that into anything. Which I don't need to be telling people that, but it's true. <laughs> and it's super efficient. The, there's a reason why the Laughs Dex defense was five characters and one enhancement. And so... That was a really good enhancement, though. Yes, it was. But... Anyway, that's sort of just the the basic 
Um, the basic thing is that you maximize every slot in your defense. You ask yourself the question, does this get me a block? You do not play Ashtoreth Worship in your defense because you think you need to get rid of the graveyard or the discard pile. And you think, discard pile remover is really good, so I'm going to play this card that just doesn't impact the game. That's, That's why you play Reverence and All to do that. So exactly. Additional benefit. Yes. And so you need every card in your defense to be leveraged to win the game. I'm going to just briefly, I'm going to pull up a couple evil cards, just sort of chilling out like cards that just don't really help you impact the game. And I don't think you should play. So, or cards that are ridiculously inconsistent. So casting stones, uh, brown evil enhancement from cloud, interrupt the battle, reveal cards from the top of draw pile until three evil enhancements are revealed. You may toss any number of the revealed evil enhancements, then shuffle the rest. Now, you don't even know if that's going to get you a block. It can impact the block, but you don't know. Why would you play a card that you don't know is going to impact the, the battle? Um, mimicking miracles. Here we go. Found one. Um, if used by a magician, you may copy the special ability of an enhancement until end of turn. This is a fun card. This is not a playable card because you do not know if it's going to impact the battle or not. If your card, if you do not know that a card is going to impact the battle, it is not worth playing. That is why people do not play paying taxes and treasures of war is because you do not know if negating and discarding an artifact is worth an evil enhancement slot. Every evil card slot that you dedicate to your defense needs to contribute to creating a tempo advantage by winning a block. All right, so final question as we get ready to wrap up is you were involved with some playtesting for GOC. How do you expect, like, if you saw cards, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, okay, when GOC comes out, this is where I think defense is going at least what I'm going to think about playing, not specifically, but generally, do you think you're going to build more toward a balanced deck or whatnot? How do you think that's going to impact early on when GOC comes out? I think that there will be a, I think there will be a defensive heavy deck that emerges as a result of what's coming in GOC. I think that I personally am going to stick to my general strategy of trying to play balanced um, with some, with some leeway, I do think that offenses may have to get bigger as a result of what GOC is going to do to defenses. I think GOC is going to take defense in directions that we, that we as a community did not foresee coming. And I think that that's going to be nothing but good for the game. Well, that was, that was short and sweet and kind of uh, almost given with a prophetic edge. Like I felt it. You said that we have not foreseen, and you said it's good for the game, and, and it just my my heart got joyous uh, because playing defense has always just been about okay playing defense as part of the game because it's required to try to get to your win condition, and it's never really been overly fun because the way the game has currently been since I got involved was it's hard like you're playing you're playing these minimal like chump block defenses and it hasn't been you haven't been able to play enough defense to have that like fun impact on the game by compiling all these resources and hitting your opponent 
but you're kind of saying that there's an option for that once GOC comes out. Yes. I'm, I, I'm profoundly excited for GOC. Having playtested some of it, I am just so excited for what's, what is yet to come. I mean, I'm just, I, I mean, I got to, I, I kind of got to lay hands on most of what's in phase one since we've seen the, the, uh, the set list. So there's some stuff in there. I'm like, I didn't even know that was in the set. That tells you kind of what the, uh, the, those of us who were bonus play testers got to see, but um, I'm just really excited for the defense in phase one, but I have no idea about phase two. So there's that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, phase one is what the focus is on. Um, so in closing, I've got one main point. There's a bullet point here and I'll, I'll, I'll let you as the guest of the episode, you can read the bullet point and tell the people, find people at home that's been listening to this, or maybe they got tired of, of us two Southerners just, you know, quipping back and forth ranting. Um, but what, what is the main point of this episode? Blocks win games, my friend. Blocks win games. That sounds so simple. But what what was that phrase in school? Like they would the uh, acronym or whatever. Kiss. Kiss. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Stupid. And I know it blocks, and you have to get to five rescues. We know that. And rescuing souls wins the game. I didn't even get to talk about time advantage. Oh well. <laughs> we can get you back on now. Uh, some some of the time in the future for for more details about that, but I know it seems almost kind of like tongue and cheek because rescues win the game, and if you can rescue five first, you win. Yes, but as you mentioned, time advantage and kind of determining who can get to their win condition first. The way that you do that and you balance and you slant things in your favor is to get blocks, especially early on in the game, to gather your resources and apply pressure and layers of things that the opponent has to get through to catch back up and pass you as long as you are able to gather that early advantage and you do that by blocking. Blocking wins you games. Yes. I mean, leveraging time that you buy by getting blocks is the way to get better at redemption. And I I think I started being a, a much better player when I realized, like, we had a conversation where Redemption doesn't have a cost to put cards in play. The resources that you have available in Redemption is the cards that you have are access to cards, so card advantage, and then your other resources, time. And it's not time as in, I've got 45 more minutes in this round. How many turns do I have until my opponent gets to three? Yes. And can I get there first? And the way that you slant that in your favor is get the blocks. So keep it simple, stupid. is the perfect acronym. And I'm, I'm saying that to myself. I'm not calling you guys stupid. Uh, let, let's just assume I'm calling myself stupid and I'm ranting to myself. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid, and play a flexible defense that can get blocks early on. And you will win more games. Absolutely. That sounds fair, and I think that's a great point to end it on. Yep. So Get your game, get your grand pre-games in, folks. Yes. And again, I will be looking for feedback on what you guys want to have the episode with Chris Fashman about. Do we want to talk about tournament hosting or do we want to talk about building a play group and what goes into that and how he's had some success with that. So two really good topics and we're going to hit the other one at a later date. 
So which one you would want to hear first is what we'll record for next week. So just let us know. I vote playgroup building. I, I think that's probably going to take it. So thanks for checking it out and tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace out. All right. Well, that's it. That is episode number 12 in the books. That's an entire dozen episodes in the catalog. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening and supporting the podcast, providing feedback where applicable. And speaking of feedback, I want to, again, make sure or encourage you to provide your feedback of what you would rather hear from when we have Chris Fashman on next week for his long-awaited and much, much overdue debut on the podcast. Been wanting to get him on for a while, so I'm glad we're finally going to be able to do that next week. So just reach out and let me know what you would rather hear from him first, and we'll get that done for episode number 13. As always, thank you for being here. Stay blessed, people.